I want to be the person that, that shows people that you can use your phone to not only make money, but to manage your money properly. Welcome to episode 19 of the Wealth and Law podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Brent? We're doing pretty well. We're uh, we're getting all geared up to head out of town because it is like the bedchamber of Hades around here, and so we want to get out to the mountains where it's much cooler. So we're doing that tomorrow. I'm, I'm very jealous. Very <laughs> jealous. You know, it's funny. It's on the radio today. They're like. Oh, it's um, it's it's gonna get a little bit hotter this weekend. I'm like, um, it was 105 today. Like, how how much hotter are we yeah. getting? Like, it's it's not like there's a big <laughs> increase. It's no, it's just 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 hot now. It's just just that's what it is. Right, like literally melt your skin off your body hot. That's where <laughs> that's where you're headed next yeah. week. Yeah. So very 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 jealous of you. I will be glad to miss that for a bit, and then we'll have to come back. And the problem is the the summer is so long that. I really can't stay away long enough to miss it all. So I'll, I'll be back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There'll still be, be some heat stuff. left for you. Yeah. yeah. You'll save some. We'll, we'll save That's, some for you. Don't worry. Most, you're the most thoughtful. <laughs> There's still, what, it keeps going all the way till pretty much September, I think is when we'll finally get back down to the nineties. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It'll be here for you. We actually, we usually joke that you can be sure that Halloween is always like the first day you might feel a little bit cool. Mm-hmm. Like everything before that day it could be in the hundreds like it's just nuts yeah it's just nuts yep this place if it didn't have air conditioning nobody would live here yeah exactly <laughs> well let's do a podcast what do you think let's do it all right so i was thinking that we could talk about financial planning for millennials and gen z and maybe we can get into why there's a distinction between the two uh, which i think is also itself like a subset of interesting conversations in this area. And I didn't think there was anybody better to do that with than Mikhail James. Mikhail is a certified financial literacy instructor. She is an MBA and well, and BA uh, from beautiful Hampton University, I should say in Hampton, uh, Virginia. She now lives in the DC area. She is active in writing and speaking and teaching on this topic. And we could not be more thrilled than to have you on. Thank you so much, Mikhail. I am so excited to be here. And yeah, let, let's get into the topic of Gen Z. Honestly, I can, I can jump in because I want to point out the distinction first. Yes, yes. Because a lot of people get confused and because, okay, number one, because I'm, I'm 24, so fairly young, especially to be an accountant, to have an MBA and all the other things that I do, you know, sometimes I have to look back and like, oh my gosh, you are 24. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but statistically speaking, or how, how research goes, millennials, the cutoff is like 1995, 1996, depending on which reports you look at. And maybe some reports will say 1994. So I was born in 95. So literally I'm in that like gray area where it's like, are you a millennial or are you Gen Z? Like which one do you consider? Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of times when, when I, I describe it is more of how you grew up with technology and in your reference with technology. So people who are who were born in the 90s, the mid 90s, we understand life without technology. And then those like the Gen Zers, the like 1998 and later, they have always had technology from when they started in kindergarten on up like technology has always been a part of their their learning environment. And I think that is a big distinction of how tech has grown and evolved. Um, when I was younger, 
technology was just getting started. Like I have been on Twitter for almost as long as Twitter has been, has existed. It's so crazy to think like 20 years ago, Twitter, Instagram, all of these things that we use did not exist. I remember when Instagram was strictly for iOS and you had to have an iPod touch to get on Instagram. Like, and if you didn't have an iPod touch, you couldn't get on. And People don't even understand what life was like before before the, the heavy use of social media, the heavy use of the 24-hour news cycle. All of this is a new thing. So that is kind of like really the distinction just of your relationship to technology. And it is a lot differently also how we learn. So a lot of times the Gen Zers, the younger generation, they're used to learning things online Uh, YouTube University, all of those kind of things. And, you know, some, the millennial generation, they understand like, okay, I actually do know how to look through an encyclopedia, but then I will also go on encyclopedia.com. So having the best of both worlds, where I stepped in and where I realized that there, there was a need when it came to financial literacy is that because there is such a, different distinction of how we actually learn about money. A lot of times the education around money is so old. And I I have to say, I, I hate to have to say it, but we have boomers and we have older millennials that are teaching or the Gen Xers teaching financial literacy and completely skip over the use of technology. And technology is so integrated in how we use finances, how we, how we look at our bank. We don't go into a bank anymore. It's, it's on my phone. Why would I have to go into a bank? I can do everything that I need at a bank on the computer. And a lot of the past financial experts don't take that into account because that was not available when these books were being written, when these lessons were being taught that was not available. So that is why I get so passionate about talking about to young professionals, young Gen Zers, Gen, young millennials like me, us in-betweeners, because we have this, we're in this unique space where we have the ability to learn and we have all of the information at the tips of our fingers, but a lot of the information hasn't been updated since like the mid nineties. And why am I still listening to, to people who wrote books from before I was born, a lot of the financial world has changed. It's gone digital. Yeah. So, and, it's, and so I, I was born in 81. So I'm like, I'm on the other end of the millennial spectrum that you, you're, or the equivalent end of the millennial spectrum that you are on the Gen Z spectrum. So I'm like, I'm barely in a millennial. But one of the things that I think is the biggest distinction between millennials and Gen Z is actually what you're, one of the things that you're pointing out, which is not necessarily just the relationship to technology, but the relationship in particular to social media. That if you're a millennial, you actually didn't grow up on social media. Social media is an adult activity for you, for the most part. Whereas if you're Gen Z, like you've pretty much grown up your formative years and you know teen and, and up, like you've had social media. Social media has been a thing in lots of different varieties for your whole life. And that's social media is so much different. I mean, just the, the fact that so much of what we learn and consume literally comes from a phone and not a, a computer sitting on a desk or a computer sitting on your lap somewhere. I mean, I have a laptop and I don't even use it in my own house other than to do like actual work in front of screens. It's become almost antiquated for every other purpose in my house. And I think that's just the way that number one, social media has driven that. And number two, technology has just evolved that way. Yeah, Absolutely. I have been on social media for half my life. And when you think about it, like you even talk about what social media looked like before Instagram, before Twitter and all of that, like it looked completely different. It was like, put me on your top eight MySpace days. (laughs) And, And that was like, that was cool then. And I have been in social media since MySpace all the way up through into, you know, now we have TikTok. I do get on the TikTok sometimes. It's a little different. But, nice. nice. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm 100%, I'm it. 100% for TikTok. 
I 100. I love it. And I think that it's just very interesting because that is how we consume our information. Twitter is one of is the biggest, if not the biggest information source media outlet in the world. Before the papers are written, before all the think pieces are uploaded to blogs, somebody's talking about it on Twitter. A, a tweet has gone viral and inspired 70 different blog posts. And it is where our information comes from. So why are we trying to separate the education of financial literacy from social media? You know, and some people want to separate it or think that it's not a place for it. But just as much as I can learn how to do my makeup and everything else on YouTube, I can also learn how to be more financially literate. I can also learn how to budget better and manage my money because money shows up in every part of where we are. And I think that's why I'm, I'm so passionate about teaching financial literacy, especially when it comes to on the internet. And I'm like, I'm an internet girl. It's fine. And I enjoy teaching it that way because that's how my audience understands. That's how I understand things. And that's how I want to bring to people to know, like, you know, you can get onto Instagram and like an Instagram baddies picture. And then you can also like some information from the bougie budgeter to teach you about how to open your first bank account. And it's space for both. I can't agree with you more, Mikhail. And I feel like, so I, I was born in 91, so I'm a millennial. And so I, I definitely remember like the days I had an encyclopedia set and it was like the coolest thing I remember. And then of course, a couple years later, you know, that all goes away completely. But you, you see like the, the progression of how social media, like you talked about it, like it was MySpace and then, or before MySpace, you would, I, I guess... I would consider AIM, like AOL, Instant Messenger, kind of the social media prelude. And then you had MySpace, and then you saw Facebook, and we have Instagram, and so and Twitter, and now we're in the world of Snapchat, TikTok, you name it. And when you look back at that progression, you just saw it like slowly just being like, first it was like you said, it was a space for your MySpace top eight, and you knew if you're on your, your friend's good side or bad side that week just based on that. But then it, it really progressed on to, oh, okay, this is how I keep in touch with my friends after high school. Or, okay, this is now how I keep in contact with my parents when I'm moving across country or other relatives. And you know now my grandma's on Facebook. And now it's to the point where the people are running their entire businesses all on social media. And so I, I can't agree with you more that if, if you're going to be teaching the younger generations, this is the outlet to do so. I mean, we're all on here. When you look at I know my phone, you know, they give you your weekly screen time. And you're like, wow, I was been spending three hours a day on my phone. Oh my goodness. Well, that's the way that you get in front of the millennial and the Gen Z generations. And I think for like a topic for financial literacy, wealth planning, just learning about the basics of how you manage money. It's, it's the best way, in my opinion, to kind of reach that generation and really, and teach them from a different perspective. Brett and I see all the time on TikTok. We, like I said, we're fans of TikTok and I've learned a lot of fun stuff from TikTok. But you can just teach people on TikTok in short 15 seconds and it's just little blurbs. And, you know, that's the way that you can quickly get out information that's really going to kind of sit with your audience and for them, for, and then later on, like you said, they can go onto YouTube and get a little bit more in depth. Or then if they really wanted to do more research, go look at a blog article about it. And it's, I think, like you said, it's, it's definitely the way to go right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then even when you think about it, so more than 80% of the information that we consume, we rather consume it during, in a video format. So while a lot of people before me did blogs and, you know, you have a bunch of finance bloggers. The finance community is huge when it comes to blogging and teaching their audience that way. Nobody under 25 wants to sit and read 2000 words on banking. I'm sorry. I barely want to do it. And it's, it's, it, that's what fills my cup in the morning. Like I get excited about reading new articles, but 2,000 words per article, that's a lot. I don't want to read it. And that is where I'm finding that there. that's where the divide is. And that's why I do more video content on my, I don't have a YouTube like really up and running 
uh, I'm not a huge YouTuber, but on my Instagram, I do a lot of video content because I know that that's how people consume information. And you have to be open to doing that. And you also have to be open to learning finances in a different way. One thing that I really am studying more is the relationship that we have with our phones and taking that step further because like I said a lot of these financial gurus a lot of the information that we have been given was by people who are much older <laughs> and they created the these rules and these guidelines of budgeting well well before the 90s and if we are still using those methods, like, yes, they're, they're tried and true and they, they work, but to completely negate the relationship that we have with technology and with our phones in your practice of teaching financial literacy, you're missing a huge part because we work off of habit, right? Um, Power of Habit was one of my favorite reads. So we work off of habit, our minds work in systems. And we are programmed, we're in the habit of checking our phones, using our phones, whenever we have to make a call, whenever we have to do almost literally anything, even add two plus two, we'll, we'll swipe on our phone just to make sure it's, it, Two plus two still equals, still equals four, even though we know it equals four. So start using your phone as a way to prime yourself to get into good financial habits. And there is a market for that. And I, am, I want to be the person that, that shows people that you can use your phone to not only make money, but to manage your money properly. Uh, you can use your, your phone to get into a better money mindset and habit. So kind of like how you were talking about how you look at your, your usage, right? You can, you can look at your, your phone usage and see how often you use whichever apps. My suggestion, this is really dope, and you're going to wonder why you didn't think of it first. So take your whatever your banking app is and move it next to your most used app. And here's why. So when you look at your phone, when you think about your phone, most of the time, and I'm going to predict, you have like different folders, right? You have your money folder, you have your social media folder, because that's what you can do. You can just box everything off and have it separate. But most of the time, if you're going to Instagram or something, it's always going to be on that specific page if wherever your most used apps are. So instead, you want to put yourself into the habit of not, even if you don't open your, say it's a Bank of America app, if you have it right next to your Instagram app. So every time you go to click Instagram, you see that Bank of America. And even if you don't open it, you are still having the money mindset on the top of your mind. Like, okay, I see it. And that's called priming your phone on your Insta on your main page on your lock screen or your your home screen. Put some of your man your money manifestations on it. Like I'm going to earn a hundred thousand dollars this year, and then because you look at your your phone so much, it's basically like a sticky note. So you're seeing that note every day, and it's it's getting instilled inside of you. And using your phone as a part of your money manifestation is completely okay because we are on it so much that you have to prime it to help you build healthy habits. That's a fabulous idea. I'm, I'm definitely going to do that as soon as we get off this call. So what other tools then? So that, that's obviously a, a great one right there. What other uh, tools would you recommend that like millennials and Gen Zers use to kind of take a bit more control then? Number one, get familiar with your, your banking app. Because I guarantee you, you're not using your banking app correctly. I guarantee you, you can do more than just check on to see how much money you have in your bank account and put and keep it pushing. There are so many things that you can do. Most banks now, you can check your, your credit score with it. You can set up notifications. If your notifications are not set up on your phone from your bank account, you're doing it wrong. And that is also what you need to do before you, you finish listening to this episode is to stop and check each one of your, if you have 
five bank accounts, two bank accounts, one bank account. You should at least have the notification set up. So if your if more than one penny is spent out of your account, you're getting a notification to know that that something was spent. If money comes in, you need to have that notification. If money goes out, if anything happens with your phone, you should be getting a notification for it. Because think about it. You get notifications whenever somebody calls you. You get notifications whenever somebody likes a picture on Instagram. And if your Instagram likes are important, so should your dollars. And if your dollars aren't important, then don't put any notifications on it and let people steal from you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my dollars are important. <laughs> my dollars are important. So I have the notification set up. There is not one penny that gets spent out of my account that I don't know about and that I don't get a notification for because I want to keep an eye on it. Literally before this call just today, I got a call that somebody tried to spend like $500 in a Walmart in North Carolina. And I'm like, well, I'm in DC. So that was absolutely not me. And it's like, if I didn't have my, that set up, how, how long would it have taken for me to know what happened? Because, and this was on my debit card, it wasn't on my credit card, which is, um, if you understand that, you know, sometimes it is, it's actually a lot harder to get money back from a debit card versus a credit card. And that's why I don't spend money on my debit cards, and which is why I have these notifications set up in case somebody is swiping on my debit card. And that's why I have these notifications. So that number one is to look at what your bank offers and make sure you have everything set up and really using your banking app to its full capacity. And that is before you start adding any extra budgeting apps or investing apps or whatever. Like you need to know how to use the main ones first before you start bringing in any extras. Yeah, that's a really, really good idea, especially if you're, you're right, if you're using a debit card to have those notifications so that you know immediately if somebody's using your debit card, because that's just cash straight out, you know, straight out of your account. Exactly. And some people don't know the difference between that. That's why I like to, I, when I'm educating people, I hate that idea of credit cards are so evil. And I'm like, okay, well, credit cards give me no penalty um, when fraud happens. So I would rather take that than to depend solely on cash or debit cards, where if somebody steals my money, if somebody takes it, I'm done. Like, okay, they're going to be like, ah, sorry, Miss James, that was really unfortunate next time. <laughs> So like truly educating people instead of scaring people or shaming people for their money habits, because we all live different lives. And, you know, what I think is cheap or affordable, Brett, you may not think, okay, you, you may think is I'm paying way too much for dinner. And I think, well, maybe you are paying way too much for your car. And you know what? We're both right. And it doesn't matter. So it's more about understanding how your money is moving and taking the precautions to protect yourself because we live in a digital world. Cybersecurity is super important to me. It's something that should be important to you because things like saving your credit card on your desktop, your credit card number, don't ever do that. And if you do that, go clear out your cash now. <laughs> Never say, never, or even when you're shopping on like online Instagram boutiques, always pay through PayPal or one of those like third parties, especially if you're using a debit card, because that gives you an extra layer of security. Never save your account or your credit card number directly onto a website. And a lot of that is because these companies are not created to protect they're, they're created to protect it to a certain degree, but there are breaches. Number one, um, cre credit card bureaus or any financial institutions get hacked and breached 300 times more than a regular like store. But when we're, when we're looking at like some of the biggest hacks that happened within the last five to 10 years, we have Target, you have Michaels, you have Walmart that was also hit. 
So they're going after these big box stores because they're so heavy on transactions and they can easily swipe your, your information. So using things like Apple Pay is a really good way to cut down on that or uh, using your tap card. And some people do not understand t- contactless payment, but if you are at Target, when you're at Target, right, they, it's, it's going to look like the Wi-Fi sign, but it's like sideways. And that basically means that you can tap your card as contactless payment. And America is very slow when it comes to tech updates and like adopting it. And this is why I'm such a pioneer and I'm such a cheerleader for adopting new tech like this. Because when you look at places like Australia, 60% of their transactions are contactless. And that cuts down on theft because if you're not carrying cash, you can't really, you know, rob me. Um, It also cuts down on cyber crimes when it comes to the terminal because uh, when you like when you put your chip in, right, it takes about 10 seconds for them to read the card, then to like encrypt it and keep it pushing. When you put when you tap your card, it happens instantaneously. It's less than a second that it reads your information and encrypts it and sends it to the seller. So why not <laughs> use use the, the tap card? And even places like I have a Chase Visa card. Chase, for a while, I think back in December, was giving 150 points just to use contactless tap payments versus swiping your card or entering a chip. So, you know, they're trying to promote us to use these things because it makes it much safer for you to use your money and it protects the banks as well because it helps with the the encryption and the extra level of security. How about paying, you know, paying through apps or, you know, paying through something like an Apple Pay? Do you do you think that's just going to become more and more popular or are we going to get to the point where we're we're paying with our Facebook currency or some other kind of cryptocurrency and, and nobody carries cash at all. I think that it we're going to move to a much more cashless environment, especially in the wake of coronavirus, COVID-19. A lot of places are going cashless because cash is dirty. Like, and that's just what the, the truth is. Um, it, it carries a lot of germs. So in an effort to cut down on germs during COVID, but even before COVID, there were, um, especially in DC, there were places that I went that were completely cashless and that cuts down on theft too. So it, it protects employees. It, it protects the business because, you know, you can't come in and rob the place with a gun because... There is no money on the premises. And a lot of people are are moving towards that because then, you know, if you do have money on the premises and you have to get an armed guard to come pick up the cash and stuff like that, there's so many extra things. But if we're moving more towards a SaaS economy and SaaS is a services software as a service, (laughs) we're moving more towards a SaaS economies where People are selling softwares and we are using virtual payments. I love a, I love Apple Pay. That is my favorite thing to do um, because I hate carrying my wallet. I hate it. I always forget my wallet. If I could have my ID on my wallet to go to the bar without having to carry my wallet, I would do it. Because again, we have our phones with us so often that it's like, okay, well, if you steal my phone, you kind of steal my life, but I still have the, the security measures to like protect my phone and makes it much easier, much more convenient for us to, to purchase things. So I definitely think that we are moving towards a cashless society. We're moving towards a crypto society. And a lot of people, you know, say what you want about cryptocurrency, Banks are now starting to hedge using crypto. And if banks are starting to hedge with crypto, it, it's some, something's moving. Something is moving in the, in the behind the scenes and you are either going to get with it or you're going to get lost. <laughs> and I say get with it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I love like the, the Starbucks app. I actually love paying through the app because it's cashless. It's been great 
during COVID because I don't have to like actually physically hand my card to anybody. I don't have to sign any receipts. And actually, I think it's if you're if you're trying to keep tabs on how much money you're throwing at the Starbucks company and lining their pockets, like it's actually a really easy and convenient way to do it because you you know you fill up your account and you can see it all the time. Plus. Every morning that I wake up, they uh, dutifully remind me how much I have in my account so that I will think about going to spend it. Listen, you can turn those notifications off too. (laughs) 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 Only turn on the good ones. That's what you're saying. I actually, and that is another way to prime your phone. Um, And that is definitely a theme that I like to stick with is priming your phone for excellence. You can turn off those notifications. Listen, if Starbucks is giving you negativity, trying to make you spend more than you need to, you can always turn the notifications off. For my phone, I keep all of my notifications off. Only like my phone Like if you call me, if you text me, those are the only notifications I get and banking notifications. Cause those, like, those are only things that really matter. Instagram, I don't need to know it every two seconds because then that's how you get, you know, hooked on your phone and you're, you're always trying to check it and that's how they get you. So taking, taking, taking the power of your phone back into your hands. I've even tried, I tested a theory now you can test it out. It was not my favorite with putting your phone in grayscale mode. It is so weird, but what it does is it's basically makes it takes the color out of your entire phone. Like it doesn't matter what, like any of the apps, it takes the color out of it. And it kind of is supposed to deter you from like being so addicted to it, I guess. All it did was make it hard for me to um, see what was happening on my phone because <laughs> you don't see any colors. Like everything is like gray, and I'm like, okay, I don't, I, I didn't like it. I tested it out. I may test it again for like research purposes to see like what happens. Another thing that I do uh, now to prime myself when I use my phone is I only use apps that I can, that I remember, so I have to physically search it in the search bar, and that's the only way I use an app. Because when you're thinking of something, if you're trying to focus on doing something, if I open my phone and I can't think of what I'm about to do, then that's how you end up scrolling on Instagram and scrolling on Facebook and, you know, not being focused. So those, those are some like my phone hacks. <laughs> I love them. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do the grayscale. That one, that one will get to me. I've got a pretty blue background on my phone and that would just it would destroy the background too of it. And I don't know if I could do that. It would make you sad. <laughs> It would. Color just makes you happy. There's there's too much beauty in the world with color. So Mikhail, um, so kind of switching gears a little bit. So what have you found like in, in your research and in your experience are kind of like the differences with financial literacy in terms of like older generations and then the millennial generation and the Gen Z? Like is, you know, we talked about kind of where these younger generations get all their information and their news from, but what about the financial literacy side? Are, are you noticing like a big gap or the younger generations excited about learning of it or what, what have you noticed? I have absolutely learned, noticed that more young people are excited about their money and some people, there are arguing forces on that, especially when it comes to like statistics some the thing is when it comes to statistics a lot of people you can use statistics to support your ideas and to to negate them but i find that a lot of younger people are excited about learning about their money because money gives you opportunity you know it we like to travel um traveling got very big when it comes when you look at the millennial generation our international travel has skyrocketed versus you know what older generations were able to do and a lot of that is because of the access to the internet and understanding how things work and you have to have money to travel (laughs) So um, you even see the rise of travel bloggers who also talk about money. I think that we're all excited. We are just not hearing the message correctly. And a a lot of that has to do with 
the message was coming from the same type of people. And a lot of times financial education is coming from old rich white men. And I, I can't relate to that. And not to say that their financial education is not brilliant or whatever they consider, but they're leaving out a big gap because I am not an old rich white man. And how they will explain information to me is going to be completely different. And how I receive it is going to be different because we have different struggles. And with the rise of technology, with the rise of financial education as a whole, as a whole movement, we are getting access to people that look like me teaching financial literacy. We have people that look like all different types of people from Asian to, hey, Berna is like literally one of my my favorite people in the world. And she, she's a Filipino woman teaching financial literacy in her way because immigrant immigrants learn it differently too so we are excited it's just for a long time we've been locked out for a long time even when you think of the stock market a long time if you didn't know somebody who knew somebody who had a stockbroker you weren't buying stocks and that's just that's just what it was for a very very long time I, I think the first black woman to actually be on the floor as a trader happened like two years ago <laughs> Two. So a lot of times it's just, it's not that the information wasn't good. It's just how you were giving it to me. I just, I couldn't receive it and I couldn't understand it. So now that we have a, a, full community of so many different educators that look completely different and have different, have, we all have the same message. We just have a different delivery message, method. And that is what's getting people excited. More people have savings accounts than ever before. More people are getting interested in asking about what things are. I have so many people that come and hit me in the DMs and say like, you know, I I didn't feel comfortable talking about money before I started following you, before I started talking to you, because it just didn't seem like something that was going to be beneficial to me. It wasn't something that I saw people with your personality talking about. And, you know, some people think that it's funny that I'm an accountant. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm out and I meet people and they're like, you're an accountant. And I'm like, yes, I live for the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I live for the numbers. But, you know, if you, if you never see anybody that looks like you, if you never see anything that is remotely close to what you see yourself as you're never going to think that you can be in those rooms so when it come came to accounting I took my first accounting class in 10th grade and I had my my teacher Mr. Anderson I always shout him out because he was the bomb uh he got me interested in accounting and he was a black man accountant and I'm like okay cool I didn't meet my first black woman accountant until I went to college like four years later so or three years I didn't spend that much time in high school <laughs> three years later. So, and that's when I started seeing that, oh, black women are CPAs and we can do those kind of things. So I think it's just taken a long time, but the information is becoming more accessible. We have laws passed now that states are required to give financial education to their high schoolers. We have schools like, colleges now mandating that their students take a personal finance course and I'm so grateful for that and you know you can think of like oh like about time yeah about time but now that we're here let's let's start growing on it let's continue to grow on it and let's continue to keep educating people and get people excited about their money yeah and I think it's I think you're right. I think that the the message of financial literacy and financial education is a lot more dispersed now through technology because technology removes all the gatekeepers like you're talking about. Like it used to be you literally had to go to a stockbroker and now 
you download an app and you can trade as many stocks as you could have 20 years ago through your broker or more and do it more efficiently and cheaper. And I mean, you see the effect that it's having on large institutions where Schwab is basically offering expense-free funds that people can invest in just because the way that the, the market and the education has gone is that the word has gotten out that the fees on these mutual funds that everybody was getting invested in are just horrendous and don't actually help you in, in the end and don't give you more value than, than a fund that has lower fees but is invested just in a, in a market index. And then I think that there's a possibility, at least I seem to be seeing it, and you can maybe correct me if, if you're wrong, but I think there's a possibility of getting the financial literacy environment in a place that's kind of similar to like hustle culture where, you know, it's now very vogue to be in kind of hustle culture and, and to be an entrepreneur. And I think that part of that is just because against technology has broken down a lot of gatekeeper barriers and allowed people to become entrepreneurs in new ways that didn't exist and ways that are a lot more accessible for lower capital uh, hurdles, like right up front. And I think like financial in, uh, financial literacy and financial responsibility could be similar or they could go hand in hand. Yeah, I definitely think that they go hand in hand. And I want to take it even a step further because when we look at a Charles Swabs versus a Robin Hood, Robin Hood kicked them in the knee for so many years. And, you know, they now they have the fractional shares that is even providing even more access to be able to invest in companies that me as a 24 year old would never have thought that I could, you know, buy into Amazon or something like that, because I don't have $2,000 sitting in sitting in the refrigerator, you know, next to a potato salad. I just don't have it. <laughs> um, but that's that's where Rachel keeps her spare money, though. I, well, I moved it. It's now next to the milk. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's logical. I, you got to change it around for security purposes, guys. You're right. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Just leave it out of the freezer because then it gets a little too cold. And mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it gets a little fragile in the freezer. <laughs> but where we are failing and where I, I see the opportunities for growth. And um, that's why I even started my Code and Coin podcast was, yeah, we have, now you don't need to go to a stockbroker and all this jazz. But when I was 20, I downloaded Robinhood and I said, well, what is this? And I got my free stock and then I never used the platform again because I, I didn't know how to use it. And that is where it is. Like now, yeah, we have all this technology and I like to compare it to, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Silicon Valley, the show. I love the show. It, it is literally one of my favorite shows. I just think it's so funny. Mm -hmm. But if, if you think about, so when Richard first uh, created Pi Piper, right? And he was sending it all to, and when he finally finished it, he was sending it to all his investor, I mean, his engineer buddies, his little, the, uh, the all the tech geeks he's sending this all of them and everybody's like dude this thing is awesome like this app is going to change the world this technology is so dope why didn't i think of it first and he sent it to the one girl the one vc the the girl that's that's a part of the vc and she's she's like you know what richard i do not know how to use this and that's what's happening that is literally what's happening you have these tech geeks and you have these money nerds who are creating this technology and we're like this is the best thing since sliced bread and then i give it to a regular person on the street and they're like what is this how do like how do i use this like i don't i don't know anything about trading stocks i don't know anything about managing a 401 i don't know anything about this and then you give me this technology and you tell me that this is going to help me, but I didn't know how to do it in the first place. So it's not really helping me do anything. And that is where the divide happens because a lot of times we don't understand it and we're not taught it on a consumer level. If you think about all the fintech podcasts out here, 
none of them are teaching you how to use technology on a consumer level. They're talking about the high level, the VC, the, oh, they're in series A and they raise $6 million. They have 10 million users. What does that have to do with me, Michael, the one that's actually using it as a budgeting app? Like, what does that have to do with me? I don't care how many users they have if it doesn't register for me. And we have to start getting people like me, because, you know, that's why I'm here, um, to, like, educate and explain it in plain terms what this technology actually does and how you can use it to benefit your financial future. Absolutely. So we talked about a lot of like the tools that you can use, different tips that people can get started on the phone. So what, what would you say are like your, your top five, what you can do today for millennials and Gen Zers on kind of how to create, how to, how to get a better grasp of financial literacy and wealth planning? Well, um, number one is to follow me, um, the bougie budget. <laughs> Um, because I, I do, I talk about money and I talk about it in a way that is easily to digest, but also does not shame you for your money decisions because money should feel good. It should not feel, you shouldn't be scared to check your, your bank account, or you shouldn't feel shameful that you just spent $200 on some clothes from ASOS or whatever. So what? Like if your bills are paid and and your savings is stacked, it doesn't matter where you spend your money. The next thing, a lot of people always ask me like, what's my favorite budgeting app and things like that. First of all, I don't use them. I hate them. (laughs) And we're just going to move past that. But if you are somebody who wants to start using a budgeting app, do not ask what's the best budgeting app because all of them do something different. Where can technology help me take my budget to the next level? So you have to find out where your holes are. So first start by hand. I have a workbook. I have a financial budgeting workbook that you have to do by hand because it is a lot of work. And then you put it into your automation and all of that. But I want you to start first understanding what what's happening with your money because how are you going to like try to throw on like throw mint in there and say like well I'm just going to use mint to figure out how to budget better like but you don't know where you're going wrong at you don't know if it's really a cash flow problem and not a budgeting problem you don't know if it's a investing problem or it's just a money management problem. Like you don't know what your problem is because you haven't sat down and figured out where your holes are. So first, you know, I would download the financially innovative workbook that I have on my website (laughs) and and then, um, and go through it and just see where, or, you know, get, get a, a regular budgeting template or whatever and because I do have a, a free version as well you can use the free version and see where you have where, where your problems are and then do the research to figure out which budging app fills in those gaps so for me personally I wanted to keep track of my my net worth I wasn't I had never really checked it I checked my net worth the first time in like April that was the first time I ever looked at my net worth. I mean, it was a negative $57,000, but you know, I have student loan debt and I'm 24. So, you know, what's your excuse? You're Whatever. getting there. You're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my 401k, then it's looking better now. So now we're, we're into the negative 40,000. Okay. So, but that's, I wanted to know more about my net worth. And so instead of saying, well, what's the best budgeting app? I could now target it to say, well, what is an app that focuses on net worth? And Personal Capital is an app that focuses on net worth. So that, so then that's when I started using that service because it helps me with my specific problem. Stop trying to get technology to solve the problem for you when you don't know the pro- what the problem is. And now, you know, after you've done the manual work, now you can say, oh, maybe Mint will be good for me. Maybe Wealthfront is going to be good for me. 
And then even when it comes to your investing app, so then my next tip would definitely be start using some type of investing app. But you also have to decide what type of investor you want to be. Stash was way too hard for me. <laughs> I did not, I didn't know how to, I didn't understand how to use it. And that's fine. Like, and it's not bashing Stash. And I don't think that Stash is a terrible platform. It just wasn't the one for me. I prefer Acorns because it was an easier interface and I knew, and I didn't have to do work. Okay. I'm a lazy investor. I don't want to have to read charts and understand what's going on. I want to set what my preference is and I want them to do it for me. And that's what, that's what Acorns does. So again, figuring out what type of person I am, figuring out where my ho- my plots, my plot holes are and using technology to fill it. I love that. Good advice. Very, very good advice. Well, Mikhail, you've been uh, very generous with your time. Thank you so, so much. Where can people find you? Well, you can always find me in the interwebs because that's where I live. <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at the T-H-E bougie budgeter, B-O-U-J-I-E, because bougie with the G looks like boogie to me. So, <laughs> The Bougie Budgeter, B-O-U-J-I-E-B-U-D-G-E-T-E-R. Say that three times fast. The Bougie Budgeter on Instagram. That's where I do most of my my content. Uh, I go live every week and we talk about money stuff every week. And I like to show the connection that money is shows up into every part of your life. It does not only live in the bank. But basically, like one time I said, I show my wealth by how nice my skin looks because that means I eat healthy. That means I can afford to eat healthy. That means I can afford to get very expensive facial care product to make my face glow. So these are things that you you wouldn't even think about. Like, hmm, like you show money because you have nice skin. Yes, I do. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, on Twitter and Facebook, it's Bougie Budgeter. It's just the same thing with no the because they wouldn't let me have it, whatever. And if you want to really join the party, I have a Facebook group. It's called Young, Rich, and Responsible. So you can just type that into the Facebook, uh, Young, Rich, and Responsible, and that's where you can learn more about all the freebies, get on the newsletter, and all that jazz. And yeah, we have a party every Thursday. I drink wine or whiskey, depending on how I'm feeling. And we talk about finances, because who else, who doesn't want to talk about finances over a nice glass of wine? Few people. Very, very (laughs) few people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I love it. Uh, I, I can say I, I follow you on all those platforms. You're a lot of fun to follow and your content is great and you're killing it. So keep it up. Uh, I look forward to what you're going to do in the future. Thank you so much. You know, I come up with it on the fly sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And you got You got to up your TikTok game. I'm telling you, you got to up your TikTok game. I do. Okay. I'm going to take that's a heart because you told me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Obviously I'm a TikTok, TikTok expert. (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah come join the party y'all we i i have fun i love to teach about financial literacy and it's obviously something that i'm super passionate about and yeah we 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 have fun over here and we talk about finances love it thanks so much mikhail have a good one thank you Hey listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.